So welcome to Spiritual Jurisprudence. Lesson one, introduction, what is jurisprudence? We want to uh, begin to dive into this. We're living in a day of lawlessness, and so we need to understand what is law, what, how does it affect us. The, one of the biggest heresies of the day right now says that we are delivered from the law, and there's a big problem in that statement. There's a sliver of truth to it, but there's a massive problem with it. So over the next several lessons, we're going to be looking at spiritual jurisprudence. And so this morning's lesson is an introduction. We're going to cover a wide swath of law and the concepts of law and lay a foundation that will help us in the future. So we need to get into this. There's a lot going on. Jurisprudence is the study, philosophy, or science of law. I by no means am a lawyer. I've never taken a law class. I just study a lot. So if I misspeak something and it's not proper legalese and some of you have legal experience, please don't shout me down or judge me too critically. I'm teaching concepts in general, not details in specific. So jurisprudence is the study, philosophy, and science of law. Literally meaning in the original Latin, knowledge of the law. And you, you probably have more jurisprudence in your mind and in your intelligence than you realize, than you probably give yourself credit for, because you've been raised in America, a nation of laws, and even pagan nations have laws. We've been able to travel the world. Everywhere we go, there are laws. In fact, even when we go on mission trips, before we ever set foot in another nation, their laws are already affecting us when it comes to visas inoculations, vaccinations, exchange rates, all these are their laws affecting me before we ever set foot in their nation. So really, let me go ahead and and just begin to dismantle the heresy that says you're delivered from the law. You're coming under more and more law every day. Now we'll get in future lessons, we'll get into the discussion of biblical law and how much you're really under, how much you're set free from. But as it really goes in these last days, you're coming under more and more law each and every day. And that's not a bad thing at all. Law is defined as a thing regarded as having a binding effect. So when we say law, we don't just mean legal laws. We don't just mean civil laws. There are scientific laws. There are sports laws. There are even laws of your household. Every household here has its own rules of operation, your own in-house customs, your in-house culture, your in-house rules. Anything with the binding effect is called a law. And that truly is the basis of law. It binds you. The opposite of that is lawlessness and lack of restraint. And trust me, as we go through this lesson and begin to just really dwell on the nature of law, you'll realize that you are very thankful for law. You're thankful for the many binding effects law has on you. I'm thinking just, for example, the law of gravity. You are thankful more than you realize for the law of gravity. It binds you to the earth so you don't float off into Neverland and blow up in space. Really, you wouldn't blow up. you just freeze to death. You're thankful for that. Again, there's this massive conspiracy coming from many major pulpits in the world that says we are free from law. And what they don't realize is they're becoming a mouthpiece for the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of lawlessness. And the spirit of lawlessness says, do as you will, which is the first satanic principle in the satanic Bible. It's a shame that Christian preachers are becoming the mouthpiece for satanic doctrine by declaring to you and I, we are free from the law. The principles, let's look at a couple definitions of law. The principles and regulations established in a community by some authority and applicable to its people. 
whether in form of legislation or of custom and policies recognized and enforced judicial decision. So that's kind of a mouthful, but let's just think about it. We get it. Principles and regulations established in any community, whether it's a tribe, a village, a sports team, a church, a fraternity, a courthouse, a hospital, a school. Principles and regulations established. That's laws. Principles and regulations established by some authority and then applied to the people that attend or are a member of that, whether in the form of legislation or custom, policies recognized and enforced uh, judicial decisions. So we judiciously enforce these policies. There's always some kind of judicial body over any group. If you're in a fraternity, like a college fraternity, if you misbehave and violate their laws, a board of those fraternity brothers will judge you and mete out some kind of punishment or expulsion. Even a fraternity that exists simply for fornication and drunkenness. Even they have laws. Even they say, look, look, you can't sleep with my girlfriend, man, and you can't steal my weed. And look, you got to help pay for the beer. Even the lawless frat boys have laws. I wish they'd tighten them up and actually be something worthwhile and not just be about tattoos and fornication and making T-shirts about screwing in light bulbs. That's an old joke. How many frat boys does it take to screw in a light bulb? One. Actually, it takes three. One and two to make a T-shirt about it. Now, if you've never gone through the Greek program or, or been on a university, you, there's a lot of humor in that because fraternities and sororities make T-shirts about everything they do. That's funny. Just trust me on that. Just trust the pastor. That is a very funny joke. Next definition. Any written or positive rule or collection of rules or rules prescribed under the authority of a governing body. For example, state, nation, sports association, or fraternity. Any written or positive rule or collection of rules prescribed under the authority of a governing body. So governing bodies establish rules. Those become laws. Those are applied to those that are under the governing body. And then, uh, I like this one the best because I'm a scientist, a statement of fact deduced from observation to the effect that a particular natural or scientific phenomenon always occurs if certain conditions are present. So that's a scientific law. Law of gravity, law of thermodynamics, uh, there's many, many laws if you dabble into the science realm in, at all. When you observe a phenomenon that occurs over and over again, it's predictable, it's testable, it's repeatable, that becomes a scientific law. I think we understood all this, but it's nice just to see how dictionaries and official academics define law. And so far, everything we've read applies to us every day. Truthfully, every moment of every day. Right now, the laws of physics are applied to you as are the laws of chemistry, as are the laws of biology, as are civil laws. They're all protecting you. And they, one of the things I'm going to say over and over again is that laws affect you to keep you at peace. And if you begin to violate any righteous law, any governing law that is ordained of God and reasonable, if you violate any law, you will begin to lose peace. If you violate the laws of physics, you will lose peace in your body. You know how high and how far you can safely jump. If you violate that, you will lose peace in your body. Amen. I think we understand that. So then, spiritual jurisprudence is the study of spiritual law. And that's what we're going to begin to get into for the next several weeks with these Sunday school lessons or these pod school lessons. Not just the law of God or the laws of God. That's not, that, when we talk about spiritual law, we're not just talking about God's law, the Old Testament and the New Testament combined. 
recorded as, as do's and don'ts, but also the laws of the spirit realm. And so these are things, this, we're going to begin to delineate that in the future lessons as well. You have the law of God, the do's and don'ts, and we'll study that in a future lesson. We, we point out that there are 613 Old Testament laws, and there's 1,050 New Testament laws. So the New Testament is 30% better. It's 30% more law. Even with all the duplicate laws in the New Testament, you can still distill the New Testament down to over 800 laws, which is 200 more than the Old Testament. And the New Testament laws are more strict. The two New Testament laws don't just say, don't commit adultery. The New Testament law says, don't even think about it. If you think about it, you're guilty. That's a lot more strict. So I don't think we're more free than the Old Testament. I think we're more greatly bound. We're going to study the laws of the spirit realm as dictated and revealed in the Bible. And note, violating laws always has negative ramifications. Violating laws always has negative ramifications. We do not want to be people who are lawless. We want to be people of the law, people who understand the heart of the law, and people who are able to help others operate within the confines of the law. So, next section. Everything operates according to laws. Everything. There's nothing you do that is not touched by a law. There's nothing you own that is not touched by a law. There's nothing you truthfully eat that is not touched by a law. Even if I eat wild deer, venison, how I obtain that deer is strictly regulated by laws. Even if I have a deer license, a hunting license, even if I'm in season, I can't just use any weapon. I can't go out there with a 50 caliber and cut down the forest trying to get Bambi. It's all regulated. Now, you can go to some places where it's not regulated, but something else is going to regulate those countries that don't regulate us. So I, I, I just want us to start to think about in this great day of heresy where we're being taught we're free from law, honestly, every aspect, every moment of your day is touched, regulated, and protected by laws. Some of them, I would agree, maybe are excessive that our government has put forth, but others are there. You don't even know they're touching you. This is just critical to, to keep in mind. Everything operates according to laws. Everything. Civilization. Civilization or civil society, which is why we call it civilization, as opposed to wild border front, wasteland, wild, wild west. That was not civilized society. In the wild, wild west, everybody had a gun because there was no law. The law was whoever drew first won. Whoever drew first and was accurate is the one who got to walk away that day. Civilization operates under civil law. These laws govern the behavior of its private citizens. And again, every nation you go to, whether it's a monarch, a dictatorship, or whether it's a democratic republic or parliamentary uh, democracy, every nation on the planet, and there's over 210 nations today in the world, they all operate under some form of civil law. Some of them are more strict than others. Some of them are more loose than others. But they all operate under law. Any nation will also have laws regulating criminality, politics, and military matters. You understand the code of military behavior. Uh, you, you, you violate certain laws as someone in the United States military, and you can get off because you're under military law. But you violate military law on a military base, you're going to be in big trouble. There are civil laws, and you have criminal laws, and you have political laws, you have tax laws. 
You have military laws. There's all these sets of laws that are developed to keep society safe. These laws are affecting your life as you read this sentence. Right now, you're being affected by building codes, which are laws. If you look up, you have a sprinkler system that we had to put in because our building code commanded it. Our doors had to be changed because building code commanded it. Even the electricity supplying the light and the power is regulated by the government, powered by TVA. And if we don't pay the bill, they have every right under the law to shut it off and we can do nothing about it until we pay the bill. The seats are being affected by gravity. Your body's being affected by the laws of chemistry. Uh, the clothing you're wearing was affected by import tariffs and even sweatshop laws and laws of labor. And you had to buy it lawfully. You couldn't steal it. I mean, everything about you. If you're on a prescription, that was heavily regulated from end to finish or from start to end, from, from the mining process that got the lithium out of the ground to who, fat, who, who manufactured it, to who distributed it, to how often you should take it, to how you paid for it. Everything, even your food, has all sorts of government stamps on it, USDA approved. It has to have the nutritional barcode on it so you know how many grams of fat and grams of sugar and grams of protein, GMO authorized, GMO free, all of that. It's all, your whole day is breathed upon by law. You can't function without law somewhere. Amen. You can only maybe perhaps briefly escape the influence of law, but it won't be for very long. Science, all of creation is studied through the general field of science. Now, I love science because it is the study of how God made stuff. Science itself is broken down into numerous fields, chemistry, physics, biology, the best ones, geology, etc., and with each of those fields being broken down into further subfields, geochemistry, quantum physics, molecular biology, glaciology, etc. So even those fields are further broken down as scientists study God's creation. So science studies creation to understand how our God made things and how he made them to work. These scientific observations often qualify to be called scientific laws. So even in science, even in natural creation, there are laws that God ordained. Not just laws for civil obedience and civil society, but now laws that keep us safe in our interaction with our own creation. We just through trial and error experience these. You, you understand more scientific law than you can put a name to just through experience. You may not understand anything about gravity, but you understand if you drop something, it falls. You also understand if you throw something, it slows down and eventually comes to the ground. You understand that hot stuff makes you hot and cold stuff makes you cold. And you don't understand anything about thermodynamics or entropy or anything like that or radiation, but it's affecting you and you get it. Scientists want to understand why and then they come up with explanations, theories and equations that can predict it and reproduce it. So when you begin to break down science, you see that even creation is submitted to laws. And if you disobey them, you break things. If you disobey things, you explode things. If you disobey things, you split atoms and you apply other instant laws of physics and chemistry to people around. And so even creation operates under laws and always will until God rolls things over and creates a new heaven and a new earth. There are over... 165 scientific laws named after people. Now just think about that. Laws named after people. 
Planck's constant, which has to do with photon velocity. And I, I played with Planck's constant once in physics years ago, and I don't know, I studied it. It's like 6.6 times 10 to the negative 30-something joules. It has to do with quantum physics, and I don't, all I can say is quantum physics. I can't explain quantum physics to you. It's a very small number, but Planck measured it. Max Planck was his name. And so now he has a law. He actually has several laws, but that's one of them. And then you have Darcy's law. I'm more familiar with that one. I've used that one a lot. That has to do with hydrology and hydraulic conductivity. So these are laws, 165 in the scientific field, that go from computer science to physics to biology, geology. These are laws that, people, that have, are named after people. Just There's 165 there alone. There's much more that don't have any name for anyone. The law of gravity is not named after anybody. Thermodynamics, those laws are not named after anybody. So think about that. Even just 165 that are named after people and then much more that aren't named after anybody. So there's a lot of laws that we've proven and of course science is constantly studying and proving more every year. And if it's named after somebody, it's called an eponymous name or a, a law. The laws can be, these laws can be harnessed to help mankind through chemistry, through understanding how physics and maybe electromagnetics work. A lot of your medical science is based on the laws of physics and chemistry, and that helps mankind. Uh, when you understand these laws, you can prevent things, you can harness them, you can benefit mankind. Uh, violating these laws would produce some sort of failure, which we are all fully aware of. Your bones operate under certain chemical laws. Your bones are made out of your teeth as well. Your teeth are made out of the mineral appetite. Calcium fluoride helps repair calcium uh, appetite. And then, of course, if you drink sodas and do meth, the laws of chemistry work against you. And then you go see Dr. James. And he helps give you a new set of teeth that are indestructible. Sports operates under laws. Every sport in the world has a system of rules in place to ensure fairness, secure consistent standards in equipment and arena, have fun and reward the victor. And again, the whole screaming right now out of the heretics in the body of Christ is, that's so legalistic, that's so legalistic. Don't be legalistic, don't be a Pharisee. And I always point out, I've never seen a sports athlete complain about the legalism of the sport. I've never seen the running back throw the ball down, spike it and say, this is too legalistic. This field needs to be so much bigger. This turf needs to be so much softer. He doesn't need to hit me that hard. I don't like the way this ball feels. If, 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 I don't like, I don't, can we make it out of something other than pig skin? I don't like this helmet. This helmet is too constricting. I've never seen anybody complain about the rules of their sport. And they absorb all those rules and they write those rules upon the tables of their heart. And they know the rules of their game better than they know their kids' names sometimes. And the instant there's an infraction, they use the infraction of the law in their favor because then there's penalties that help advance the game. And it all works into this little ecosystem called the game, and that makes it sport. If there's no laws, it's not sport. Why do we regulate hunting? Because to just be able to kill a deer with a stick of dynamite is not sporting. <laughs> to go fishing, you have to have a fishing license. You just can't drop dynamite in Center Hill. That's not sportsmanlike. Boom. And then a thousand fish float to the surface and Loch Ness and whatever other redneck things are down in the bottom of that lake. We have laws to make things fair, to keep things safe. 
And I've never seen a judo player complain about how legalistic the sport of judo is. I've never seen the hockey players complain. They know their rules and it provides this tight arena with which to compete. And if you violate the rules and get away with it, you're called a cheater. And cheaters never win. And winners never cheat. And all those other things they taught us in the 80s under Nancy Reagan. Rules regulate field size, game time limits, equipment requirements, gameplay technique, player size, and weight limits. You can, you can be kicked off a team for being too fat. You can not make the team for being too small. If you're not fast enough, you're not making the team. And even in boxing, they have weight limits for fairness and safety's sake. Game rules allow for competitors to compete fairly and without surprises. Did you know it's illegal to have a knife on the football field? That would be kind of shocking that you go to make a catch and the guy pulls out a machete and starts swinging at you. That would be so uncool. And yet they're thankful for those kind of rules. There's no surprises. They believe everybody's going to operate according to the same laws that they've studied called field regulations or game regulations. And therefore they know what to expect and they know how to adjust for that. Did you know even in the tremendously redneck sport of NASCAR, they regulate everything on those cars. There's weight limits, duct tape things. I mean, you, 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 there's just certain things you can and can't do to a car. And everything is tightly regulated. Otherwise, it's not fair because they want it to be about skill and not money. We try to explain that to the Oregon Ducks. They have a lot of money. They have very little skill. And hi, Sarah. And even for all the rules staying the same, they still can't win. This year, they, yeah, that's right. So no man is crowned. Even the Bible says no man is crowned unless he strives lawfully. You don't win unless you compete lawfully. Violating these rules would call for some uh, form of fine or punishment or disqualification. What about driving? Would to God people in this region would learn about the laws of driving, especially those folks to the north of us. Overton County drivers. We won't even start on Jackson County drivers. They can't even spell driving. I Lord of mercy. Uh, dry. And I have to drive around both of those groups of people. Driving is regulated by governments all over the world. I would disagree with Africa. I don't think Africa has any driving regulations. I, I've never seen anything like it in the world. Wise traffic laws are developed with, purpose, with the purpose of balancing both safety and commuter efficiency. That's the purpose. Safety and commuter efficiency. The rules are too loose. Chaos and catastrophe can ensure bringing a halt to traffic. If the rules are too strict, traffic can likewise be brought to a halt. So we balance safety and efficiency. Even red lights are timed. They're regulated. Speed limits are regulated. The size of roads are regulated. Uh, vehicles, you know, we, we hear the term street legal. Vehicles have to be street legal. Did you know that even the number of headlights and, and rear lights are regulated by our government? Airbags are regulated. Tires are regulated. You just can't get on the road looking like Bigfoot, the monster truck. That's illegal. I don't know how some of our farmers get away with some of the stuff. I live out in the country and they come down with this massive combine and they're going to combine oncoming traffic and they don't even seem to care. That's good old boys. But all this is regulated. Traffic laws must be balanced. Common regulations include vehicle size, road dimensions, shoulder dimensions, guardrails, etc. 
Uh, we deal with this when I used to build roads and bridges. Speed limits, uh, those are good. Sometimes I think they're uh, unnecessary or ridiculous. Uh, I think those are kind of variable. I think that's kind of a, you know, an opinion. It's a speed opinion. <laughs> Sometimes I disagree with the opinion. <laughs> uh, commuter lanes, those are regulated. Carpooling is regulated. You can't put some mannequin in your car seat next to you and get in the commuter lane, which people do and get busted for all the time. Vehicle emission standards are regulated. If a car doesn't meet the craft emissions, they will be, you won't be able to drive it. When I lived in Seattle 20-something years ago, every year you had to take your car to the emissions testing facility, hook it up. They would put this little snorkel in your exhaust pipe, and they would measure the emissions. And if it didn't pass, your car was basically condemned because, you know, we want to hug a tree. Now, I'm so thankful that stays in the Northwest and it hasn't come around here. Uh, registration, did you know you have to register your car every year? Did you know even in Tennessee, if you have an antique car, it's a registered antique car, you can only drive it on weekends. You can't drive it during the week. Just part of it. I don't know why, I don't know the logic behind the law. I don't know why the weekend's better or less worse. I don't. Violating these rules will call for fines, arrests, accidents, or even deaths. Yeah, we understand that. When laws are developed by civil governments or sports bodies, they are generally intended to either legislate against a behavior deemed to be criminal, to protect by promoting safe practices, or to regulate something that has grown out of hand. Now think about this. We have, unfortunately, a body of human beings in our nation called lawmakers. They're also called politicians. Now, they went from being called lawmakers to be called politicians because they're pretty useless as far as human beings go. When a lawmaker stops being a lawmaker and becomes a politician, they're basically a 200-pound bag of worthlessness because all they're in it for is the politics, which means selfish gain, which means lobby money. But their job, according to our founding fathers and according to the design of God, is that they make laws that are necessary to keep society civil. Romans 13 talks about the, we call it the Romans 13 ministers, or we could call it the civil law ministers. And when you study Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through about 7 or 8, and we'll get to that in the future, you'll see that the civil ministers are identical to the gospel ministers, with the exception is that they regulate a different law. Civil ministers regulate civil law. Gospel ministers regulate gospel law. We preach, I preach the gospel law. The judge preaches civil law. I execute judgment with the word of God and the swiftness of my authority. The police officer executes a different kind of judgment with his pistol and his handcuffs. He takes people, he, he excommunicates people out of society into jail. We excommunicate bad Christians out of church into society. And if they don't behave out there, they fall into the hands of the police officer. So we have all of these things working together to protect us. The lawmakers make laws that they probably never thought they should because something has grown out of hand or somebody found a new way to violate fellow mankind. Now, honestly, if we would stick with the Ten Commandments, we would need a lot less law. Now, Christian politicians or Christian lawmakers are mocked for making the statement I just made. We don't need the Ten Commandments. But if you think about it, every law written is based on a violation of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. How many millions of laws have been passed in America because folks found a new way to steal? Tax laws, 
industry laws, school laws, all because somebody found a way to get their hand in the cookie jar. But if you'd obey the commandment that says, thou shalt not steal, you wouldn't have to have 10,000 laws. What about thou shalt not kill or murder? It's really the word's murder. How many different forms do we have of murder? First degree, second degree, third degree, manslaughter, all these different ways. And if you just wouldn't murder somebody, we wouldn't have to have 10 million ways regulating how you can and can't kill somebody. So what happens is laws are produced every year to regulate some form of carnality. Laws are given to keep sinful flesh in check and allow people to live peacefully. Now, let me pause here before I lose your interest. If you lack peace in your life today, if something in your life is falling apart, it is because you have violated law somewhere. Maybe not civil law, but definitely spiritual and biblical law. Marriages fall apart because somebody violates the law of God. Health falls apart because you start violating the laws of biology. Money falls apart because you start violating the laws of stewardship. All the laws that are given to us are given that our lives might be peaceable because Jesus is the Prince of Peace and He is the chief lawgiver. He is the King of Kings. He is the ruler that regulates our life. We are not able in our own sin nature to regulate life. We must have the Spirit of Christ, the law of God, the law of faith, the law of freedom in Christ applied to our life so that our lives can get better. When your life falls apart, it's because you violate laws. And you can't blame gravity when you break your legs. And you can't blame fire when you burn your hands. You have to blame yourself. And if your life is falling apart, how foolish is it for us to blame God, which so many folks do? Something horrible happens, we blame God. No, 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 no. God established it all. You violated it somewhere. Or somebody violated it against you. Laws by nature are intended to help civilize society and invoke fairness. New laws are written every day because mankind continuously manages to develop new ways to violate his or her fellow man. Now, I, I think about one of the stupidest things America has ever done is have to put on the top of coffee cups, caution, contents are hot. That came about because a stupid woman asked for coffee from McDonald's and they gave her a piping hot cup of coffee because that's how coffee is served. It warms you, it wakes you up, it caffeinates you. Nobody wants cold coffee unless they ask for iced coffee. That's why they developed the term iced coffee to distinguish it from all other coffee which is served hot. So the woman, this is like in the 90s, this is, stupidity has only given birth to more offspring since then. She gets the piping hot cup of coffee she asks for and she puts it in her crotch as she pays and drives off. Now, if you didn't know when you drive, you have to shift your hips, your knees, and your legs. And if you have a clutch, you're using both legs. And so as physics would demand... In the movement in biology, in the movement of her hip structure and driving off, she squished the cup of coffee and exploded the hot cup of coffee into her nether regions. And the laws of science took effect. There was a massive amount of heat transfer from the coffee onto her nether regions. She should have got the Darwin Award. Instead, she sued McDonald's and won. And so the McDonald's lawyers went, 
do we really need to keep serving stupid people? We should have an IQ test before they hit the drive-thru window. So they shelled out millions of dollars to the burned crotch lady. And now, oh, look, here's my coffee. Caution, content's hot. It's exactly how I wanted it to be. Why do you have to warn me for giving me something I asked for? Because mankind is retarded. And in America, we're looking for a quick buck. Amen. It's not really hot. It's more like a lot of Sunday morning Christians. It's kind of lukewarm right now. But I am not Jesus Christ. I will not spew this out. All right, let's keep reading. Law brings stability and structure when and where there is chaos and decay. When you go to the doctor and your, your body's decaying, he will tell you what to do. He will give you a law that will bring life. When things fall apart, if you go to a family counselor, he'll tell you what to do so you can resurrect your marriage. When, um, I don't know, your vehicle's falling apart, the mechanic will tell you what to do. It'll be a law that'll bring your car back into life. Laws help breathe life into things. It's what they're meant to do anyway. Simply put, laws are meant to provide mankind with a peaceful construct within which he can safely enjoy life. And a law-abiding society is a civilized society. So facts and observations about laws, because again, this is our introduction to jurisprudence, spiritual jurisprudence, and just the nature of law. Laws set perimeters and boundaries because mankind has a sin nature that wants to keep going and going and going and overstep boundaries. Laws set perimeters and boundaries. Laws provide safety and defense. We need that. We have, uh, whether they say possession is nine-tenths of the law. That's safety and perimeters. You know, if you live in a neighborhood, you respect your neighbor's property line. Sometimes you might do them a favor and cut their grass five or ten feet into it, or I pick up their sticks, they pick up my sticks, I burn their sticks, they burn my sticks. There, there's a politeness there, but we understand oh, my property line kind of stops here and yours kind of stops there. A farmer owns the pasture behind me. I honor his property line. I don't throw my trash over his fence. I throw sticks over his fence every once in a while. The leaves might blow there, and that's fine with me. He doesn't care but I'm not going to go over there and just have my freedom in his backyard. There's a law. Laws define acceptable and unacceptable behavior. You can't go streaking down the neighborhood. You will be arrested for, there's a law, indecent exposure. Now, the fact that they had to make that law up lets you know somebody went really stupid and thought, this is a good idea, probably a frat boy. Let me run down the street naked. And they said, you can't do that. This is polite society. They made a law. Well, because before the law, well, sir, technically, he's probably a lawyer. There's no law against this. There's nothing that says I can't do it. That's the attitude of lawlessness. There's no law that says I can't. Common sense says you shouldn't run down the street naked. Well, you going to arrest me? Congress went, anybody want a motion for this law and you can't run naked through town? Aye, aye, aye. Somebody ran naked through town? Yeah, village idiot. All right, so let it be said, here's a new law, can't run naked through town, indecent exposure. And then they found other ways to make indecent exposure. So now we have to have a whole set of sub-laws that define what indecent exposure is and isn't. I mean, you see, the more creation decays, the more laws are being created to try to hold it together. And we will continue to proliferate laws as mankind and creation and society rots until there one day is a king of kings 
and a Lord of Lords who will come and of the increase of his kingdom there will be no end and he will rule with the rod of iron which means there won't need to be any law. He is the law and everything will stay so. Laws establish systems of rewards and punishment. You obey the law, you're rewarded with safety, you're rewarded with promotion in life, you're rewarded with protection. If you violate the laws, you are in prison, you are punished, you are fined, you get speeding tickets, you go to jail, etc. Laws define who is authorized and who is not. Uh, you can't just act like the police and pull somebody over. A couple years ago, my mom, she used to be a pharmaceutical rep, she's gone back to nursing now, she was somewhere in East Tennessee and a police officer pulled her over. She said, but the lights weren't right. And the man gets out of the car and he walks up to the car and she said, he's this real muscular guy in this tight kind of um, uniform, but he, he does not, she said, it wasn't a normal police uniform and he didn't have a gun on his hip. He had a badge, but no gun. He had like a, a Leatherman and he wanted me to follow him someplace. And she looked at him and of course my mom was a spitfire. She said, no. And she just drove off. And she called the police. Of course, it shook her up, but she called the police and the real police and said, there's somebody out on this highway impersonating an officer. That's against the law. Laws authorize who's in charge and who's not. You can't just take upon yourself the authority. Laws authorize who can teach and who can't teach in the school system. Laws authorize who can be a police officer, who can't. Laws authorize who can make city council decisions and who can't. Laws authorize who can practice medicine and who can't. I'm thankful that laws authorize who can fly life flight helicopter. You, you can't just be a nurse and say, what are these buttons doing? I tried this once at the arcade. Thank God for laws. But we, I want you to learn this, this lesson. We keep making laws because mankind keeps falling apart out of rebellion. Therefore, as Paul said, the law is good, but I am carnal. All right. Laws are established and set in stone. They're written. They're decreed. I mean, we write them on black and white, but they're codified. They are in books and manuals, and lawyers study them, and judges know them, and police officers know them, and they are established. They're the bedrock of our society and our civilization. They are not suggestions. They are laws. And sometimes lawmakers come back and realize this is an antiquated law, this no longer applies to our society, we'll strike it from the books. And even our founding fathers knew that sometimes there might be constitutional amendments that were necessary that the nation might outgrow or culture would move beyond and they could ratify the constitution and remove amendments, but it would take a supreme amount of a vote from the Senate and the Congress to do that. But you don't get to make that decision. Laws do not produce legalism. I want you to hear that very clearly over and over again. Laws do not produce legalism. Foolish heart, flesh, mankind produces legalism. Laws do not produce legalism. Man's heart, failing to understand the purpose of the law, produces legalism. Think about speed limit for, for a second. The purpose of the speed limit is to regulate speed to keep society safe to help you safely operate your vehicle within its constraints. And just because the speed limit says 45 doesn't mean you own a vehicle that can safely do 45. 
Uh, the speed limit on my road is 45. The tractors don't ever dare try to go that fast because bouncing with combines and tillers and rakes and all that, it's not safe. They go a lot slower than that, like Overton County drivers. I think most Overton County drivers on my road think they're pulling a combine because that's about how slow they drive. But if I'm on my road and we have a, a hospital emergency, I am not going to be legalistic. I'm going to look at 45 and I'm going to say, I think I can double that. In fact, we were coming out of the hospital last week when the baby was delivered, and I had the girls, and, and my heart broke. In fact, I got emotional, and I began to pray. A man slams the car door, and he picks up his about eight-year-old girl, and he's running as fast as he can into the emergency room. And, and he looked at me, and, just, and I, I looked at him like, I don't even know what I could do for you. And the girl's unresponsive, and he's just running, and he, he looked like he was Hispanic. He might have been Indian. I don't know. He, he was not a white person. And Lydia and Abigail, I've got them because I'm taking them home. What's wrong with her? I said, sweetie, I don't know. We need to pray for her. She's not responsive, so I have to explain that all the way home. I guarantee you that man said, forget the speed limit. Whatever that is, I'm doubling and tripling it because my little girl is unresponsive and she needs the hospital. Legalism would say, no, says 45. And you got, you know, elevator music playing. Do, 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 do. Now, there's a time and a place to break laws. When you understand the purpose of the law, and when you understand the purpose of it, you know that there's a place when you can break it. You don't go around shooting people, but if you break into my house, I'm putting you full of holes, and I'm not going to feel guilty about it ever. Thou shalt not kill. Right. I wasn't killing you. I was defending my babies because other laws don't violate other laws. Amen. Legalism is the worship of laws by the adherent. When you get caught up with the law, and you get dogmatic about the law, that's legalism. And a lot of folks don't just do that with Bible laws, they do that with everything else. One of the things we're going to learn over and over again through these lessons is that you must learn the heart behind the law that is given. You must learn the heart behind the law that was given so you don't become legalistic. Lawlessness is the rejection of laws or the picking and choosing which laws you will and will not obey. I call this the law of lawlessness. We're going to cover that over and over again. There is a law to lawlessness. It is doing what you want. Oh, we got to move real quick. Overregulation is the creation of unnecessary laws in response to lawlessness and loophole exploitation. And of course, this is an argument every day around the world in politics. Overregulation, overregulation. Righteous laws produce peace when obeyed. Righteousness, righteous laws bring peace. If your life lacks peace, you should go evaluate where you violated the laws of the land or the laws of God. The whole of polite, safe, and peaceful society rises and falls on its laws. It should then come as no surprise that the kingdom of God has its own set of laws. The citizens of that kingdom are likewise bound to obey those laws. We're kingdoms of that citizen. We must study the law book, the Bible, know the laws, and obey them. The laws of the kingdom are what separate and distinguish us from heathen. That's the whole reason God gave his law to the Jews, that they might be a unique and distinguished nation, that people would be drawn to them. Not only does the kingdom have laws, but the spirit realm, with all of its demonic and angelic activity, also has a set of laws that, though not as clearly spelled out in the scriptures, are nonetheless actively affecting our lives every day. We're going to cover some of the spirit realm laws to understand how you get demons, how do you resist demons. They're not as clearly spelled out as the laws of God are to our behavior but nonetheless, there are laws that affect the spirit realm. The entirety of our Christian walk will rise and fall on the law of God, and I should say our obedience to it. If your life stinks, you tell off on yourself. 
you're disobeying law somewhere. The guys in the jail, their life stinks because they are rebellious. Just because you're outside of jail doesn't mean you're any less rebellious. So examples of spiritual laws in the Bible, we've got to read through this real quick. Spiritual laws are like natural laws. They are constantly in operation and are affecting our lives, whether we realize it or not. We must learn spiritual law in order to cooperate and benefit from them. Consider the following spiritual laws affecting your life today. Law of seed time and harvest. This is a law established in Genesis 8. As long as the earth remains, the Lord said, seed time and harvest will not fail. That's confirmed over and over and over again. What a man sows, that shall he reap. Your life is a result of what you sow and reap. And the problem with harvest is that it doesn't happen today. So if your life stinks today, you're not going to change it today. You're going to begin to change it today. You begin to sow love. You begin to sow finances. You begin to sow service. You begin to sow uh, exhortation. You begin to sow kindness. You'll eventually begin to reap that. Then you must constantly sow it so you're constantly reaping a harvest of it. Your lives are affected today and are the result of your seed time and harvest. And that isn't just money. It's anything. Uh, The Bible says, what a man sows, what a man, anything. Anything a man sows, that shall he reap. The law of witnesses We've learned that through my teaching in the book I wrote on sound doctrine. Every matter is established by two or three witnesses. That is a law. You can't build doctrine on one verse. You can't build your life on one experience. Even prophecy is designed to bear witness with something you already experienced. You cannot violate this law. The law of pride and humility. That law says uh, God will promote the humble, but he will resist the proud. Multiple verses confirming that. That is called the law, of, the law of pride and humility. If you're arrogant, God resists you. If you're humble, God will grace you and exalt you. If your life has not been promoted, it's because there's a pride somewhere. And not all pride looks the same. Some pride can be a, I don't need help. That's just as much pride as, look at me, I'm such a wonderful singer. Amen. Law of faith. Faith believes in the heart and confesses with the mouth, and you can have what you say. This is a law that we operate under every day, whether you realize it or not. You can have what you say. Your life is the result of what you say, speak, claim, declare every day of your life. I need to begin to clean our language up some more because some of you still use expressions like, that just scares me to death. That just makes me sick. That tickles me to death. We used to have a very close guard against that kind of speech. Jesus Christ said in Mark eleven twenty four, you can have what you say. And if that just scares you to death, that makes you sick. That just, uh, that just tickled me to death. I, I'm so sick of this. All right, I know it's a figure of speech, but do you realize the power of your words? That's the law of faith. You can have what you say. And then the law of forgiveness. This is a very condemning one. You must forgive if you want God to forgive you. If you don't forgive, neither can God forgive you. That ties into the law of pride and humility. That even ties into the law of of faith. You've got to say, I forgive them, Lord, so that God himself can forgive you. You cannot violate this law. So those are just some examples. This is our introduction on spiritual jurisprudence, the nature of law. And I think we all fully understand these concepts. They're very easy to understand. you, you, You yield to them whether you realize it or not. But I want us to bring clarity to this so our lives can be better constructed, better organized, We can harness life around us so much better and our lives can improve. Amen? May God grant us the spirit of wisdom as we begin to study his spiritual laws. Father, I do thank you for this church and these teachings. Help us to learn your law. Help us to understand the laws of our land, even the laws of creation and science, 
so that we can be yielded to you, law-abiding citizens of heaven and of the United States. Father, I declare we will not be lawless, we will not be reprobate, and we will not be legalistic. Help us, Lord, in these endeavors in the coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.